five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hello, space enthusiasts. We are going to the moon this week. My guest, Joachim Lanzmann, was the deputy mission director of the Space IL Bereshit mission to the moon, and he now has a moon-related startup called Moonscape. So join us to talk about all things lunar. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcast platform so more people can find the podcast. Now here are a couple of short messages from our sponsors, then please enjoy my conversation with Jorof Lensman. My name is Raphael Rodkin and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out, and also check out my episode with their CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. Well, so I'm here today with Joraf Lanzmann, who is actually my classmate from the International Space University. Joraf, how are you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. Cool. Joraf, why don't we start off this way? Why don't you give us the, the short introduction of all of the very interesting things you have been doing and are currently doing? Okay. Um, so first of all, I, I was a space enthusiast um, since I remember myself. I worked for 20 years in the space industry in Israel. Uh, at the beginning, I worked at the Israeli aerospace industries in the operations and systems engineering of communication satellites. And later on, I worked at Space IL um, as a senior systems engineer and deputy mission director uh, of the Bereshit mission, the lunar uh, mission, the only privately funded mission to the moon so far. Uh, I'm an aerospace engineer and I have master's in planetary sciences. And I'm an alumni of the International Space University uh, Space Studies 2019. As am I, and sadly, I don't have all of this engineering background that, <laughs> that you have, but go ahead. Um, yeah, and uh, after the SSP, I decided to, to switch into entrepreneurship and start my own business, uh, which is called Moonscape, which is about the moon, because... Mm -hmm. The moon uh, is still in my thoughts. The goal is to, to leverage uh, the unique experience from, uh, from Space AL, the, the experience that I uh, got uh, from that mission, into something that can enable and support uh, the future development of the moon, because this is uh, very trendy right now, and uh, there's a lot of interest in that. Um, so uh, Moonscape is going to be a remote sensing constellation in lunar orbit uh, in order to provide uh, information from the lunar surface, actually for everything that's going to happen on the surface. It can be for landing companies, for uh, mining companies, for uh, infrastructure development on the surface, um, for safety, for uh, situational awareness and whatnot. So this is, uh, this is interesting. For, for example, uh, you don't have atmosphere for the moon. So mm -hmm. you can place your satellites um, in a much lower altitude and map the moon or observe sites of interest. And that can be easily in, in much greater resolution than you can have on the Earth because of the lower altitude. And, and correct me, I mean, you're the expert, correct me if I'm wrong, but the lower altitude is also, there's 
there's, there's one sixth of the gravity as on Earth. So I guess the way the, the orbital mechanics work, I mean, for a given speed, you can just be in a much lower orbit, correct? That's right. The magnitude of, of the velocity is about, is about two kilometers per second. Uh, for, mm -hmm. for low Earth orbit, it's uh, typically uh, eight kilometers per second. The thing is for uh, orbital mechanics around the moon is that the moon is much less unified in mass. Which, which means mm. it, it has uh, mass concentrations in, in several uh, places within the moon, which means that the gravity field is less uh, unified. That's uh, interpreted into a much less stable orbits. So in, in, in low lunar orbit, you actually spiral down uh, until you crash. And that can be uh, quite, uh, uh, quite fast, actually. Uh, in, in very low altitudes. And there are orbits that are called frozen, which are uh, less sensitive to that, but uh, because it, it's balanced uh, in on different um, uh, inclinations and different uh, orbital parameters. So I, I suppose that these are the, the, the orbits that everyone will want to be in. Um, but uh, these, are, these are the useful uh, places to be. They are still unstable, but uh, not as bad as most of the others. This is really interesting. And funnily enough, is when the last episode with uh, with Janina Halak from, from Workspace, uh, she was also talking about the mass concentrations. A couple of follow-up follow questions on the lunar orbits. Then. So what, what would be the typical altitude of a of a low lunar orbit? I think between 100 and 200 kilometers. Um, okay. I think it, it, it depends on your mission. Because, mm -hmm. for example, for observation missions, you, you want to be as low as you can. And you, actually be, you can actually place a satellite much lower than that. It, it depends. For example, if, if you want to, to be available, if, if it's a communication satellite of some sort, and you need to be available for a larger uh, area of the moon, then you need to be higher than that. If you want to land, it's, it's, it's probably uh, you want to start from a lower orbit. So it, it, it really depends on what is your mission. Yeah, sure. And then the, the other question was um, coming back to these mass concentrations, which again is something also Janina mentioned as a complication. What do you actually do with that? So if you're flying over a mass concentration, um, is there some sort of um, like, did you have to like fire your, your, your engines or how do you counteract, how you deal with, with that, that, that variance in, in the, the, the answer is the answer is is uh, more general than that. You you need propulsion. You don't have okay. any choice. If you don't have propulsion, then your satellite is very short uh, short time. Mm -hmm. It will last for a, between a few days and a few months. If if you want more than that, and I think for sustainability and for a good a good business plan, because the the costs are too high to to lose your uh, mission after so, mm -hmm. uh, such a short duration then then you need propulsion and if I you're going assume... to ask what mm -hmm. kind of propulsion this is yes. this, this is a good <laughs> question <laughs> i i don't have a um, a straight answer to that uh, because it's still under investigation but would it be fair to say um, i mean on in 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 terrestrial and earth orbits i mean this is effectively a, um, some extreme way of station keeping i suppose <laughs> in in earth orbits we would do this just with uh, we could do it even with uh, relatively low thrust electrical propulsion but uh, on the moon would it have to be chemical i don't think so i, I think it can be okay. done with with the uh, electrical propulsion but uh, i'm i'm not sure how effective it is 
I mean, it is effective, of course, but if you need to to use your thrusters all the time, then it brings a lot of other uh, problems mm. uh, because you're definitely not in Keplerian orbit anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're kind of uh, already getting a little bit here into sort of the uh, some of the challenges of going to the moon, which is actually something I want to talk about. And I think in one of the discussions at ISU, you at one time, uh, point in time, you made this like throwaway comment of like, I, I know the way to the moon. And uh, <laughs> this is, of course, a great thing to know because uh, for now we don't have like a, you know, it's not like you can go to Google Maps, I think, and, you know, type in, I want to go to, you know, um, the so-and-so crater and then Google Maps tells you, yep, that's going to take X days and you can take uh, Starship number 177 departing in two days or something like that. This, this is what we hope to get to, obviously. Yes. I think many of us. But um, for now, explain to us the the way to the moon, how that sort of works, the rough, the big steps. And let's, um, uh, for simplicity, I guess, let's assume uh, for now uh, an uncrewed mission, so without any passengers. Yeah, so so the easiest way to get from uh, one orbit to another is by an Oman transfer. Uh, this is what teach us uh, at school. This is the minimum energy uh, transfer. So uh, this is the preferable. And for the moon, it's about, it's between three and four days. But there are other ways. For example, if you have unlimited capacity propulsion, which is, of course, um, imaginary, but uh, you, you can use your propulsion and accelerate fast and get to the moon very fast, you know, almost a straight line, right? But, but it, it's, not, it's not feasible. You can't do that. It's not effective. You, will, you, you would never want to do uh, something like that. Uh, but you can um, find ways to 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 make it a bit faster than uh, three days if you can allow yourself to um, uh, to to uh, expend more uh, more energy for that. Currently, it's it's just not effective with current propulsion systems. And there are other ways to the to the other side. You can uh, make your uh, trip to the moon much more effective and mu with much less uh, delta v, much less. Uh, uh, energy consumption if you are willing to to spend time in space for much longer um you can go much farther than the moon and then correct your orbit and return uh, to uh, uh to the orbit of the moon around the earth because you are very far from the earth the delta v you need in order to correct your orbit is is much much smaller mm -hmm. but it means that instead of three to four days it will take you a month and a half three months something like that, of that order of magnitude. Um, and if you are uh, taking humans to the moon, this is definitely not the way, right? Um, right. And, and also the, the surprise of staying a long time uh, in space. You, you are uh, um, exposed, exposed to radiation. And, um, um, and, and if you're going very far from the Earth, I mean a million kilometers or, or more than that, um, you need to take care of communication issues, which are for the moon is is uh, challenging enough. I think if you, if you're going much farther away, then um, it, it's going to be a real deep space mission. Yeah. So I mean, picking up on communications. Correct me if I'm wrong. So to the near side of the moon, um, that's about what a second and a half of delay one way yeah okay so I, I guess that's enough that so you could have conversations if it was crude without too much issues I guess but in terms of I guess maneuvers. Um, that probably implies you need a, a fair level of autonomy, right? Um, indeed, uh, absolutely. Um, it, it it was good enough, for example, for the Soviets to um, to drive their uh, robotic rovers with the remote control. 
from the earth back in the 70s mm-hmm. um but if you if you need to to land something on the moon or to to maneuver um to to change orbits you need something much more precise and much more yes much much more accurate and for that you need autonomy you need your spacecraft to be able to to navigate to know where it is and what it's doing um and that that is Uh, much more complicated. It's not necessarily much more complicated than satellites around the Earth, but uh, for landing, for example, landing is much, <laughs> much more uh, difficult because then um, you need to navigate according to the, uh, to the ground of the moon. It, in, in Earth orbit, you can just uh, use star trackers and the uh, measurement of time and, um, and, and you have GPS, um, so it's, it's much easier. Around the moon, it's not enough to have um, guidance from the Earth or uh, Star Trekers and stuff like that. It's, it, 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 you, it, you actually need to uh, navigate according to, to lunar coordinate system, and that means that your satellite needs to sense the moon, the, the ground of the moon. And it's been done before, right? Uh, people landed on the moon, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, it's much more difficult. W- when the Apollo astronauts landed on the moon, first of all, they had the uh, radar. And uh, on top of that, they looked outside the window and yes. navigated by, uh, by the hu- their human sensors, their eyes yep. and uh, their joystick. Um, so first of all, if you don't have humans on board, then you need your computer to do that. Um, and we have the technology of, for that, of course. We landed on Mars and uh, on other places, on, on comets even. So it, 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 it's been done in different environments. Uh, for the moon, it can be uh, easier for uh, for some missions. It can be difficult from uh, other aspects. But um, um, the facts are that from all the attempts that have been done since the 70s, only the Chinese landed safely on the moon. Um, so it is a difficult task um, and shouldn't be uh, reduced into something common. Not yet. How does the, the fact that there's no atmosphere impact the landing i mean is that is that good because you don't need to heat 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 shield so that's easier or is it is it bad because you there's no atmosphere that slows you down hence you have to land propulsively (laughs) yeah on one aspect it makes it simpler because you need only one system to land which is propulsion rocket uh, fuel and uh and engines and uh but on the other hand you just don't have any other choice You can't use mm. parachutes um, and the heat shield, uh, of course, it's a very complicated system, but it reduces your, uh, your speed. Uh, it, it does most of the slowing down. Uh, for Mars, I, I remember that they said that it, it, uh, it takes, I think, 98% of your, uh, um, uh, of your velocity um, when you get from... Right. Uh, from uh, Uh, heliocentric orbit into uh, into the Mars atmosphere. Right. We're talking about the, the, the navigation and you mentioned, um, okay, no star trackers. Um, and you also mentioned, okay, on, on Earth, you could also have GPS or for that matter, one of the other, you know, navigational satellite, GNSS, um, global navigational satellite systems. Mm-hmm. Is there, so there's really nothing like that on the moon. Is there any plans? Because that seems like something that, you know, uh, you mentioned the moonscape doing um, um, remote sensing, right? But it seems like navigation would also be a good thing to have, right? <laughs> Of course. <laughs> uh, yes, it is 
um, it is very needed. Um, and I, I, I say that, I, I say that uh, a lot, that uh, what we miss for the moon is actually all the infrastructure that we already have for, for the Earth. The reason why we can... Uh, why we can um, uh, focus on on small satellites, on cubesats that perform um, such a, a, a great uh, work in uh, Earth observation and other uh, aspects, uh, communication, and others, uh, is because you have GPS, so you have the navigation infrastructure, you have uh, uh, launches as a service already. Um, communication is much more, uh, it is much easier, but also the uh, antennas on the ground are a service that you that you uh, uh, get for your mission. And um, things are much more simple. For, for the moon, it's, uh, of course, you can launch with commercial uh, uh, rockets, but only to Earth orbit. Then you need to transport yourself to the moon somehow. So, uh, so we lack transportation, and uh, I suppose Yanina talked about it in the last episode uh, about what they uh, plan to do, mm -hmm. uh, because this is a very needed uh, infrastructure that is currently missing. And navigation and communication—it's—it's um, it's the same story. Uh, there are two great challenges that we we currently need to take care of, um, of that by ourselves. Every mission that goes to the moon needs to uh, figure its own way to navigate, to communicate, and to get to the moon. Um, and in, in the future, and I hope it will be in the near future, you will have um, services of uh, transportation to the moon. So you will start your mission when you are already in lunar orbit or on the surface even. And uh, you will have communication infrastructure, uh, which can be a service. You don't need to carry a very heavy uh, transponder. You can uh, use something much more uh, common um, mm -hmm. and, and transmit to some other system in space that, uh, that can take care of the large uh, uh, distances. And navigation, um, it's probably not going to be the same as GPS. It might be uh, uh, something different, but it will give you your precise location. And that's uh, and that's what that's what we need basically. And once we have all this infrastructure in, in place, um, it will be much more much easier and uh, much more uh, much less expensive <laughs> uh, to get to the moon um, because you 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 don't need to take care of uh, of that yourself and you can just get that as a service and focus on what really brings you to the moon. So just um, expanding on communications, which you mentioned, because I wasn't fully aware of that. So right now, in terms of securing your, securing, but just organizing your communication to and from your spacecraft, which might be in lunar orbit or even on the surface, you basically have to do everything yourself. There's like no kind of government, uh, you can't piggyback on one of the government systems and relay via like, you know, some, some government uh, orbiter or something like that. Uh, I'll give you an example um, uh, from the Bereshit mission. Um, at first, we we got uh, we uh, uh, hired the SSC to um, to receive the signals from our spacecraft and deliver it to the mission control room, and uh, in the, on the other direction to um, to command the spacecraft. So uh, we had the uh, the control room, that, and we got the the telemetry and the 
uh, and send commands. And uh, the idea was to get uh, images the same way. Um, and mm-hmm. it meant that the bitrate, the the rate of communication, needed to be super slow because um, because of the distance. Because uh, the, the farther away you are, um, it means that you you have um, uh, more noise and you need to differentiate between the signal and the noise. Uh, so the, the only way to uh, to take care of that is, uh, it's not the only way. <laughs> you can either uh, take with you to space uh, a very uh, powerful and mm-hmm. uh, with a uh, high power consumption uh, transmitter mm-hmm. or um, have a very large dish on, on Earth. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there are not a lot of those, and uh, there are not a lot of those um, free for use or free uh, for hire. Um, luckily enough, our mission was uh, interesting enough for NASA, so they actually uh, let us use the deep space networks okay. uh, at some times on the crucial parts of uh, of our mission. Um, and uh, for, for those of the listeners who, who don't know that, uh, this is a, a, a worldwide network um, in, in California, Madrid, and Canberra, Australia, uh, with dishes uh, the size of uh, 34 meters and uh, even 70 meters. So these are huge, and they're super busy with all the uh, deep space missions they have. This is how they receive signals from the Voyager uh, missions uh, at the rim of the solar Mm -hmm. system. Um, So this was the only way we could uh, provide uh, the beautiful images that we got uh, during this mission. Um, Mm -hmm. In in another uh, uh, case, we we would need to, to... to, to broadcast uh, very low resolution images um, and uh, much less of them. Um, so uh, that that was a, a really good uh, thing to to have. And um, what I hope we can uh, uh, we can have in the, in the near future is something much better than that because we we can't all depend on NASA, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, f- first of all, it's not it's not a really uh, it's not a commercial business it's not a commercial service uh, but also they are very busy uh, so mm-hmm. we need other ways of communicating with the earth um, and we can do that with better antenna with better on board antennas on the spacecraft uh, mm-hmm. and with more um, efficient uh, transmitters um, but we can do that also with uh, relay services Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are several companies that uh, that uh, are uh, that answer to. I remember there was an ESA uh, tender for that for communication and navigation. There are several mm-hmm. companies that uh, that plan to do that in various ways. Uh, some with uh, relay satellites, some with uh, laser communications. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be very interesting, and uh, it's super important for the development of the moon that it will be established soon. Yeah, agreed. And we had about a year ago or so um, one of our portfolio companies actually at my venture fund, um, Skyloom, which is building mostly a relay system around the earth, but they also have, I'm pretty sure already plans to extend this as optical, this into deep space, um, which like you said, makes a, makes a lot of sense. Now, um, coming back to the other, another thing you mentioned was, was radiation. And, um, again, some of our listeners may not be that aware of it, but once you leave the certain parts of the earth orbit, um, and the protective, the protective shield of the earth magnetosphere, um, you're just exposed to a lot more nasty radiation. How much does that complicate the mission? Well, um, the effects of radiation can um, can vary from um, uh, switching uh, bits 
um, the, the electronics electronics just get zapped and uh, you get memory uh, changes in your memory um, and uh, it can also be uh, frying your uh, equipment um, so it, it, it depends uh, and it means that if you need to to send your satellite or spacecraft to deep space and actually if you if you want it to go past the Van Allen belts farther from uh, from the earth or uh, in other case if you need to pass many times through the Van Allen belts um, mm. it, it, it means that you need to harden your uh, electronics uh, to withstand that um, so uh, there are ways to protect your uh, your equipment um, the brute force is just to uh, to cover it with uh, uh, thick um, uh, uh, aluminium um, yeah. but but it's heavy so heavy. Yep. <laughs> it's it's not the, the most efficient way to do that uh, but there are smarter ways to to do that uh, mostly in um, using computers and uh, electronic cards that uh, that have this resilient built in um, uh, so they are um, hardened without uh, being shielded by uh, very thick uh, walls of uh, metal yes like from from other innovative uh, israeli companies like uh, ramon computing yeah, ramon. Who, yeah. who i should really invite onto the podcast <laughs> this is a very good reminder okay so uh, finishing up on sort of the transportation piece, which is obviously key to everything. I mean, if whatever you want to do on the moon, we, we need to get there. We also had fairly recently a, a sample return mission of the Chinese uh, from the moon. How, how much more difficult is that to bring something back from the moon? Well, um, first of all, they did bring stuff from the moon um, during the Apollo times. Uh, of course, they bring mm -hmm. back humans, <laughs> right? Sure. Uh, but, but, but also uh, the Americans and the Soviets uh, um, uh, launched from the moon uh, with the samples uh, of the soil. Um, so lifting off uh, the face of the moon is much easier because the gravity is much lower and you don't have atmosphere. So technically, it, it's it's much easier. The, prom the problem is that um, you still need need fuel for that mm -hmm. and that fuel currently can come only from earth so you need to land your ascent vehicle first so this is something that uh, we hope we will be changed soon um uh, if if they can uh, manufacture uh, propellant from the water ice on the surface of the moon mm -hmm. and um, and refuel the rockets uh, it, it's not easy at all <laughs> it will take time to achieve that uh, but it's something very important to to strive for um, because that will enable a lot of activities in not just for the cislunar space but also for the rest of the solar system um, i think mm -hmm that uh, this is just one of the challenges the, the other one is navigating back to the earth and the re-entry itself i think the re-entry is one of the um, more challenging things actually um, mm -hmm. but um, i i think that we can have confidence by the fact that it's been done since the 60s and the 70s several times so um, the fact that the chinese are doing that is great it, it means that um, there's another entity that can do that um, but um, eventually, it should be, again, a service uh, if you want mm -hmm. to bring something back uh, to the Earth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. 
Okay, so let's kind of talk about some specific missions. And of course, I'm going to ask you about um, about Bearsheet and uh, yes, okay. Starship as well. <laughs> we'll get to actually, there's a whole kind of section that I want to talk about, uh, spend a few minutes uh, later on on sort of the future. <laughs> cool. the future. Um, but we, we should really, since since you were a senior person on the team, we should really talk a couple of minutes on, on Space Island, the Bearsheet lander i mean obviously we could um we could fill an entire episode on that mm-hmm. and i have seen you giving uh, entire lectures on it but if you had to give sort of like the two minute summary of uh what happened during the landing um as far as we we know it um that that would be interesting whoa okay um down the memory lane um so the thing is um as a background it took us seven weeks to get uh to get to the landing stage um because there are no launches for the moon uh, currently so mm-hmm. we we took a, a ride on a falcon 9 with a with a huge indonesian uh, communication satellite and uh, we started our mission actually we were separated in a, a uh, super uh, uh, super uh, geosynchronous ob- orbit. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very eccentric uh, ellipse uh, where the the apogee, the top part of the ellipse, is uh, at an altitude of uh, seventy thousand kilometers from oh, the wow. Earth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems high, but uh, let's yeah. remember that the moon is much higher. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, the moon is uh, almost uh, four hundred thousand kilometers 000. away, mm-hmm. so it's it's barely uh, it's it, it's just a, a, a tiny piece of uh, of uh, the orbit, uh, and of course the orbit needed to be very uh, precise uh, in um, um, in its orbital parameters, so we will be in the right plane. Uh, that we that if we just um, increase the altitude of the apogee eventually we'll meet uh, the moon. Uh, this is not trivial at all. Mm-hmm. And since we didn't have a huge uh, third stage rocket uh, engine on board, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was just a tiny spacecraft, um, we had uh, an engine uh, that is usually used for a communication satellites, for a one or two mm-hmm. ton satellite. Mm-hmm. So for a spacecraft uh, with a launch mass of 600 kilom- uh, uh, kilograms, it, it was significant, but still it's not enough to, to uh, turn it on and get to the moon. We need to orbit the, the Earth many times. Mm-hmm. And that took us um, a long time to, to perform. And as I mentioned before, we passed through Van Allen belts many times mm-hmm. um, and it caused us a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we had a lot of anomalies and a lot of uh, even failures during uh, the way and we, we got them Right, we fixed them one after the other. And it got us into a, a very um, a confident uh, mindset that, that we, we, could, we could land. I, I mean, we, we didn't have any doubt on, uh, on that at all. And when we started the landing, um, we prepared everything. Everything was autonomous, right? Uh, we uh, uploaded uh, uh, all the commands we needed and everything. Mm-hmm. And at some point... We saw on telemetry that uh, one of the uh, IMU, the inertial measurement units, failed. This is a crucial navigation component. Mm-hmm. But so far, it wasn't really a problem because uh, we had two for redundancy, and both of them were uh, active. Uh, so the other one uh, could could uh, do the uh, the job and and continue the landing. That that was about. 
13 kilometers from the ground, I think. Um, but then we decided to intervene, and that was a mistake. Uh, we decided to turn on the failed um, uh, IMU because we mm-hmm. thought that it might be safer uh, to have uh, both of them, and we didn't understood. We didn't understand that uh, it actually can cause a cascade of events that will fail the mission because mm. it there was a flaw in the in the software that we weren't aware of and it triggered that and it caused the navigation to fail and the computer to reset. So far, it's still not really a problem by itself because we had computer resets uh, before that and uh, the uh, autonomous software could handle that. But because we had so many um, uh, problems during the way to the moon, we uploaded uh, several patches to the software that will fix those uh, those problems. And the reset erased that, it, uh, uploaded the original software. Okay, so we had a, now a software with problems in it. Uh, it's not necessarily bugs, it's, uh, it's a sensitivity to some situations. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it basically caused, in the end of the chain of events, to a, a problem in communication between the main computer and the main engine. So the main the main engine couldn't be turned on again, and you have to use the main engine in order to reduce your uh, velocity because you are accelerating fast toward the ground because of gravity. So the spacecraft actually uh, fell from about 10 kilometers. So even if it fell slowly, uh, slower than uh, Mm. how something uh, uh, fell on Earth, but uh, Mm -hmm. it's still 10 kilometers, uh, it's it's still a long way. Sorry, still high enough, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so it hit the the ground uh, in a a very uh, high speed. And uh, yeah, and uh, the good friends from uh, the... LRO uh, team sent us later the the image uh, of before and after the the, the, cr- the crash site, the impact yes. site, yes, yes. And uh, LRO for people who may not know, that's the Lunar Reconnaissance uh, Orbitary. Oh, yeah. So that's a that's a spacecraft in uh, in in orbit. And so hopefully, you know, um, with um, as as we will hopefully go back to the moon a lot. Hopefully, at some point in time, we'll get even better images, or people can uh, even um, pass by the um, the crash site and. Uh, be able to see whether the um, the water bears uh, survived. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd get to that. They're allegedly water bears. <laughs> well, it would be very interesting from an astrobiology point of, of view to see whether the water bears uh, if, who can. If, if you are looking for a, a um, astrobiology interest, you should look at the Apollo sites where they uh, left their uh, human waste bags. Uh, oh yes, yes. So a lot of bacteria, obviously, in in, in that. Um, that is a very good point. Okay, so let's move on to what you already wanted to talk about. You have the the Starship, and I guess I'm just going to ask you what you think about Starship as a lunar vehicle in general. But I guess there's uh, there's probably two types of um, Starship lunar vehicles we can talk about because one um, there is the um, the architecture that NASA now pretty much seems to have decided, um, I guess, to use, which is um, the Starship as a as a human landing system for for the Artemis missions. But then of course there is um, um, technically also the mission that SpaceX is planning the circumlunar Apollo 8 style mission um, for for a start at least that uh, SpaceX is planning with uh, Yosako Mezawa, um, which I um, suspect involves basically using a starship all the way. Um, and so kind of keeping those two those two different types of missions in mind. So what are your views on on, on Starship? Um, I'm sure you're following it uh, currently, the development of Boca Chica and hopefully soon orbital test flight and how to get it from where we are today to being a 
a successful lunar vehicle. Yeah. So first of all, uh, you have to give credit to SpaceX that they fulfill their promises. Maybe not in time, but uh, eventually they do what they promise. So uh, we're expecting Starship to 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 fly very soon. This is. This is a game changer. The, the sheer capacity of that vehicle can change everything. Because if, we, if we're talking about the, the number of missions on the moon to, to be uh, several dozens to a to, uh, hundred or maybe a bit more by the end of this decade, just because the, the, uh, the lot of landers that are currently in, in different stages of uh, design, manufacturing mm-hmm. and testing, you have to say. Uh, but Starship is going to, to land on the moon, not with a few kilograms of payloads or a, mm-hmm. a 200 kilograms, but with more than 100 metric tons of payloads. Mm-hmm. And if you can imagine how many other missions, how many lunar missions you can fit inside, it's it's just, it's enormous, right? You, you can... If they land on the moon after a hundred missions already landed on the moon, they can double the number of missions uh, in one vehicle. It's almost ridiculous, but but it it can change everything because it it will enable a lot of a lot of new ideas of how to uh, do stuff on the moon um, because it, the the prices of of that will be much cheaper than any other lander. So. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that you that the other landers will be out of job, but it means that first of all, you can land bulldozers on the surface of the moon, for example, mm-hmm. if someone pays for that, of course. But also, you can just bring in human mission with the entire habitats and uh, and life support and life support mm-hmm. and supplies for uh, for many months uh, in in one mission. And, and that's incre- incredible. Um, and I, I think this is the main, um, the ben- the main benefit of, of such a huge vehicle. We, we still, it, it still um, emphasize uh, uh, some other problems, some other needs that we will have on the moon. For example, after you land so many missions on the surface of the moon and deploy them, um, you don't have any real way to take them else- elsewhere. There are still... Uh, very much in the same uh, in the same place. Even uh, all the all the lander all the rovers that are currently planned are very uh, slow and uh, they can't mm-hmm. uh, uh, move very far until we have roads or uh, another way of uh, of traveling from one place to another. This is going to be a problem. Uh, you will just need to figure out how to, I guess, how to work together <laughs> because uh, you have so many missions of different nations, of different companies, mm-hmm. a lot of them competing with each other or even rival nations maybe. So uh, this will bring a lot of, uh, of uh, new, I don't want to say new problems, but uh, um, new things to, to solve, new things, new, new challenges to, uh, to tackle. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. But, that's an, but that's an important thing to, to have uh for the moon we can't just uh, keep sending a few kilograms at the uh, uh in one mission that's that's just not enough yeah it's like it's a total game changer in terms of payload capacities so let's maybe for listeners put that into context uh, what was the payload capacity of um, of the bear sheet lander roughly well, speaking the bear sheet lander uh, had a capacity of just as several kilograms uh, I, mm-hmm. I think that the the next uh, generation should have more than that because 
it it became a, they're planning the the Bereshit two mission now. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm not part of the team, so I'm not aware of all the details. But um, it's going to be a, an orbiter with two landers, two small landers. Um, but still, I'm, I'm not sure that this is the right way to look at it because it's not commercial. It's mm-hmm. going to be mm-hmm. used for uh, for other uh, things uh, because space oil is an NPO. Yeah, we can compare it to some of the other commercial landers like Astrobotic or Maston, which. I, I don't I forget not the exact numbers, but I'm pretty sure all of all of them are sort of like tens and at max hundreds of kilograms. So it's like three to four orders of magnitude smaller. I tend than to I tend to agree. One. I don't remember exactly. And uh, NASA wanted that kind of uh, capacity, and and uh, and for the large landers, they 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 wanted two hundred kilograms or more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the pricing, if I remember again, I don't remember exact numbers, but I think it's roughly uh, on those other commercial companies, roughly around a million dollars per kilogram from the Earth to the lunar surface. So, because still re- very expensive, right? Yeah, I agree. And then, you mentioned though, so this 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 very. Yes, this very high mass, so 100 tons. And this is, I mean, again, it's just much, much bigger than, I mean, even if we take the Apollo um, uh, to human landers, and I, f- I forget now what their payload cap- um, uh, I, I capacity th- I was, that, but starship. I, I, I think that they landed with um, uh, 14 tons. Basically, um, still almost two orders of magnitude bigger on Starship there. So, uh, because you're doing propulsive landings on the moon, so I mean, if you want to slow down 100 tons, that's going to take a lot more energy. Is that going to be any sort of. Energy? Any sort of issue because we've never done this this it, magnitude it is a huge issue because uh, you need um, uh, very large engines and uh, and probably more than one and you have the 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 dust issues because you you spray all the regolith all the dust uh, in every direction and with the large landers you move tons of dust um uh, into into the it's not into the air but uh uh, above the ground and uh, it's it's not like on the earth where uh, uh, you can see swirls of dust when a helicopter lands or a rocket lands um, you don't have yeah. atmosphere so the the tiny particles almost never meet each other uh, every single one of them is in ballistic trajectory and yeah. they get such velocities that some of them actually get into orbit into escape velocities mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so it's a it's a huge hazard for uh, any ground asset uh, nearby and even things that are not really nearby um, because it can hit things uh, very fast uh, kilometers away um, and even things in orbit around the moon should expect some kind of uh, flux from uh, um, lunar regolith uh, once the large uh, landers will start landing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to ask you sort of an, an unfair or difficult question, uh, which is going to you know cover Starship and also the, the the planned Artemis missions and anything else that might be happening on the moon. And the question is, you know, if we kind of look ten years out, well, let's say we are, you know, we're getting together for another episode in in 2030, and you're sort of like, um, I'll ask you, Joff, give us the quick summary of what happened with uh, you know lunar exploration and activities over the last ten years. Um, what do you well, think some of that will be in, in as an uh, uh, commercial activity and so as forth? an entrepreneur? I have to be optimistic, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say that the current trends will continue on. 
and uh, the numbers you see in uh, in the analyst reports are much smaller than what they're going to really be and we'll mm-hmm. have um, hundreds of uh, different missions on the surface of the moon by the end of this decade including some of the constellations and uh, infrastructure that we mentioned before uh, from the new companies um, a lot of commercial stuff a lot of governmental activities there will be s- probably some um, incidents that will need uh, our lawyer friends to uh, to figure out how to uh, how to solve uh, in, a, in a place where mm-hmm. the the space treaty is not really um, uh, it's it not really covering everything mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's uh, I would say it's 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 a beginning it's it's not the, the moon is not really the goal it's it's the moon is a gateway to to the rest of the solar system. So we'll start seeing new stuff, new ideas of uh, what to do with the infrastructure that we started uh, for the moon. And I would say uh, uh, another thing, I I think that currently Europe is a bit behind uh, the US and China with the everything that's uh, going on in this uh, trend uh, for the moon. But I believe that it's going to, to change. And I can disclose that I, uh, in, I'm involved in a, um, in a new uh, uh, venture that's called the Exploration Company, uh, which is a European company that uh, uh, is just starting uh, with uh, very ambitious plans for, uh, for the moon and, uh, and other things. Um, and uh, it's, it's already uh, starting to, uh, to be published, so uh, it's no secret um, without telling uh, too many details about what they're going to do. But it's very mm-hmm. exciting and uh, um, it's, it's going to, uh, to, to become something very special. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, um, we were talking about um, the moon in general and then also the, the initial uses of Starship. Um, again, key is, of course, for any other activity, you want to have the basic infrastructure first, so the things we talked about, navigation, remote sensing, communications. We actually haven't talked about power. That's obviously a really important one mm-hmm. as well, which we could, we could spend an entire episode talking about that. So this is you putting the infrastructure, but then of course that's to use your word. That's not the end goal. You want to use the infrastructure for something. What what do you think is could be like the let's call them the killer use cases for the moon? Is it resource mining? Is it space tourism? Is it just a testing and staging area? Is it all of the above? Um, that's a very good question, and uh, <laughs> no no one can tell you the answer actually. But yep. uh, uh, I would say it it first of all it will change uh, through time. Um, I think that um, um, I, I'm not sure about mining. I, I am optimistic about tourism. If it's in the right uh, cost and if, if it's safe enough, I think there is a, a, a clear case for that. Um, and, and people want to go there, even if it's just, you know, to, to say that they were there um, because of the experience. Uh, and, uh, and some tourism companies can take advantage of that and, and, and find ways to entertain and to, you know, to, to do stuff on the moon that you can't really do in, uh, in Earth orbit or on the Earth, um, like taking, you, uh, t- taking advantage of the low gravity for for sport events, for example. Um, uh, so there is a case for tourism. There is a case for uh, for media things. Um, there is one initiative. I don't know. I, I, I heard about it a long time ago. I, I'm not sure that it's still going on about uh, car racing, uh, robotic car racing on the moon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I think that eventually the, the real goal 
is to to use the the moon as a station uh, for the uh, for the rest of the solar system for for Mars for and for other places not just for training and and um, uh, things like that but uh, it, it can be much much cheaper to go to the moon and to launch from the moon to other places even once uh, mm-hmm. once once we master um, mining and um, and uh, manufacturing on the moon and in space and launching from the moon of course um, um, it can be much cheaper to launch from the moon instead of from the earth so you can technically transfer a lot of the industries of the earth to the moon um, if it's uh, if eventually the price would be cheaper to uh, to have that maybe all the uh, satellite um, um, companies will be on the moon if manufacturing uh, can enable that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this the fact that you mentioned that it's much easier to to launch from the moon um, to other locations i mean we, we even see that in some of the I guess, science fiction, right? Even though there tends to be lots of errors, of course, but mm-hmm. um, just for memory. So in, in Ad Astra, the Brad Pitt movie from like a year ago or so, he's he's basically launching to Mars from the moon. He's going to the moon first, then going to Mars. Um, yeah. The way the recent, ne- the recent <laughs> Netflix series, you go to the moon first, then you go to Mars. Um, which kind of brings me to sort of where we always end up, which of course is one of my favorite subjects, science fiction. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just going to assume that you like science fiction as well, because I happen to know that you You know that. <laughs> science fiction writer. Yeah. So yeah, you, you, you have no choice. <laughs> yeah, I, I so, grew up in science fav- fiction. What are some, yeah. Um, <laughs> what are some yeah. of your favorite um, depictions of of the moon in science fiction? Um, um, of the moon, I I, I think that um, first of all, I, I I really like the expense, for example, but I I don't. I don't think mm-hmm. we saw the moon very much during this, the TV series. It, it it is in the books, but um, um, and and it's basically a, a settlement there. Um, mm-hmm. You have everything you you can get uh, on the Earth. You you also have uh, on the moon. Um, I well, I did like Ad Astra, but I think the 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 fact that uh, the moon is very commercialized mm-hmm. uh, is something that we might see there uh, at some time so so i kind of like it um there also can be uh, piracy on the on the lunar mm-hmm. surface i'm not sure that the, the uh, lunar mad max scene was uh, very realistic but um, but uh, you know um who knows if if you can place uh, independent settlements over there then who knows um maybe there can be a case uh, for that but i think it can be so much easier to to find them and uh, get rid of them if if uh, someone decide to if they uh, do uh, too too much harm you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so i'm not saying things that uh, piracy on the moon is a very sustainable business <laughs> well, we, we it comes back to what you mentioned before our lawyer friends and what they might come up with and then of course um we would also need a enforcement enforcement capability if there are uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but before the enforcement you need some kind of management yeah how about um uh what else is there in science fiction uh, did you ever read uh, moon is a harsh mistress yes a very long time ago so i'm i i'm i'm not sure i can really remember the details hmm. um um yeah no problem it's a very it's a very interesting book where the moon is sort of a uh almost a separate colony of the earth which i highly oh, recommend yeah. to people Right, it, it it was um yeah with a supercomputer and um mm-hmm. the, the artificial intelligence. 
Yep, exactly, exactly. Very yeah, critically interesting. I, I remember that they they had this uh, rule that if if you if some if you don't like someone, it's it's basically you you can just toss him out of the airlock um, because. Uh, um, they they have a strict rule there that you need to co- collaborate with the others um, because otherwise you you just can't uh, get along because oh, yeah, the, 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 the the tossing out of the airlock seems to happen almost in every science fiction right in the, the expanse as well and Battlestar Galactica and everything right but um uh, I, you have, yeah, yeah my fi- my final question would be sort of if if people are generally interested about the moon and learning more um, independent of their background um what would be some some good places to start uh except science fiction i guess yes exactly uh, <laughs> um i think that this is a very uh very um a trendy topic right now so there are a lot of um, activities in in this field there's uh, I, I remember there's a program or there was a program for uh, in the isu uh with the school of mining i think uh, about space resources mm-hmm. but I, I i'm not familiar with the details but there are uh, at, at least this program but uh, there, there are probably more um I think that the ISU itself is a is a great institution to to um, to study in and to to um, um, nurture your network and find people that uh, that can tell you about that and and uh, give mm-hmm. a lot of, of information. And they had several uh, very interesting projects um, about uh, space resources and especially the moon. So uh, it can be found on on the library of the ISU. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Yeah, um, there's uh, several organizations that uh, that work on lunar policies and um, and and the future of of the moon, like uh, for all mankind and mm-hmm. Open Lunar Foundation. Yeah, which I'm, I'm very fond of. Mm-hmm. Um, so look them up and uh, get in touch. Um, there's so many activities and so many initiatives and uh, this discussions these discussions are uh, so uh, alive right now because mm-hmm. it, 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 we just have so many topics to to cover um, mm-hmm. from policy and regulations to to technical thing uh, and how to deal with the, the challenges of uh, of uh, of the moon um, so with all this activity I, I i this all gives me a, a lot of optimism uh, about the the coming years, it's going to be very exciting times. I totally agree, and I, I reflect that what you what you just mentioned. Some of these events are really interesting, and I encourage people to attend some of the. And at the moment, they're all online events, so it's very easy to join. And people can also check out. A few weeks ago, we had James Burke from the Moon Society, which is yet another organization that's um, very much about lunar development. But Europe, thank you so much for coming on. This was super interesting. Again, we could have talked. We could have done uh, independent episodes on many of these topics we talked about. Maybe we do sometime. I'm sure you'll be back regularly as we hopefully will see many uh, important events around the moon over the next few years, like um, new human landings, whether that's, you know, Starship or with other vehicles, other interesting missions, and hopefully the commercial development of the moon. And in that context, of course, um, all the best for, for Moonscape. And uh, whenever we can talk more about that, that'll be also very interesting. Sure. Thank you. And thank you for having me today. Sure. My pleasure. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. 
If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.